Father, we thank You for the cross. Thank You for Jesus, our Savior. And we celebrate every week, Lord, what we just did, communion, reminding us of His death, His burial, His resurrection, reminding us of His great love. And that Jesus is our Savior. But Father, not only is Jesus our Savior, He's our Lord. Father, we ask that our Lord would speak to us today through this preaching your gospel. You speak to us through your scriptures. Father, open our minds and our hearts today. Break down any barriers we have. Help us to hear clearly from you today. Help us, Lord, to receive this teaching with an open heart, with an open mind. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Today we begin week six of seven, 50 Days of Transformation. We've been looking at some very specific areas of life. We've been looking at our spiritual health and our physical health and mental health, emotional health, relational health. We have two more areas to deal with. We have vocational health, which is our work, and then we have our financial health or money. Today I want to look at that financial health. Now some of you say, oh man, I didn't really want to hear that topic today. Uh, Why do we have to talk about that one? I'll tell you, it's important for us to talk about because Jesus talked about it. Actually, when you go through the New Testament and you look at the parables, Jesus talked more about money than He did heaven or hell combined. That's how important it was that we dealt with this topic. If you go through the parables, over half of them, half of them that Jesus shared dealt with money, how we use it, how we invest it, how we handle it, what do we do with it. When you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, one out of every six verses is about money management. And so if Jesus talked about it, and if the Bible addresses it that much, I think it's important that that we address it. You say, why is that? Well, because money can dominate our lives. Money will influence our lives either for good or or for bad. It can be used for great things and money can be used for bad things. We spend so much of our time thinking about it, working for it, earning it, studying it, saving it, investing it, all these different things. We use so much of our time. And if you don't learn how to manage your money, then it will definitely manage you. And so the Scriptures are very clear about principles about how to handle the money that we have. Turn to your Bible with me to Luke 16. This is a very interesting story we're going to look at today. And, and, and it's a confusing one. Because when you first read it, it looks like Jesus is approving of dishonesty. He actually lifts up a guy of dishonesty and says, I like some things that he did in this account, in this story. But he's using it also for some shock value. Let's Look at the text together. Jesus said, There was once a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions, so the owner called him in and said, You must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you have done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. The manager thought, What am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. But I'm not strong enough to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I found that very interesting. I'm kind of a weakling. I don't want to go do some physical work, but I'm not going to go ask for some help. 
I know what I'll do. So after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everybody who was in debt to his master. He asked the first man, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, okay, tear up that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. A little dishonesty scheme going on, but he's trying to influence some friends. And so, hey, let's cut your bill in half. Next, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager said, okay, change your bill to say you only owe 800, so I'll give you a 20% discount. And these are kind of like side deals. These are deals going on underneath the table, obviously without the permission of the owner. Now when the master, the owner, heard what the dishonest manager had done, he still praised his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. It's a strange story. Uh, When you first look at it, it it seems like he's lifting up this dishonest man. But Jesus gets in, gives a little bit more in the next several verses. Verse 9, Jesus says, Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for for yourselves. Now now you hear that and you're like, wait, wait a minute. Am I supposed to use money to buy friends? That's what it sounds like it's saying. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when when it is gone, you'll be welcomed in eternal dwellings. He's talking about heaven. And he continues on in verses 10 through 13. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you're not a good money manager, if you're not taking care of the money he has given you, if you've been untrustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches, with spiritual riches, the real riches of life? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say you should not. He says it's impossible. You cannot serve both God and money. That may be the most frustrating and the most shocking and the most misunderstood story that Jesus ever told. Because in one vein, it's like, wait a minute, he's saying that guy's dishonest, but still watch out for his shrewdness. And he's also saying, wait a minute, pay some friends and, and, and give some friends some money so that they'll be your friends. There's some weird things to unpack and to understand in this story right here today. It's important to note a couple of things. First of all, Jesus is not praising his dishonesty. He is not lifting up the fact that this man was dishonest. He's praising his shrewdness. We'll get back into that in a minute, what that means. But he's not lifting up his dishonesty. And secondly, we can learn from anybody. Whether they're doing things that are right or they're doing things that are wrong. They're doing things that honor God or does not honor God. Obviously, this guy was not honoring God in the story that is shared by Jesus. But if you ask the right kinds of questions, we can still learn from one another. I think sometimes in our culture what we do is, well, I don't agree with you and so I can't learn anything from you and push you aside. Even when we don't agree 100% or we have different moral values, we can still learn from another. This guy is dishonest. And Jesus says, here, I want you to get some principles out of this. I I want you to learn how to handle some money because this guy did do some things right even in the midst of doing some things wrong. The other thing I want you to notice is two reasons Jesus tells the story. First of all, Who's the story written to? You have to know that as you look at this text. It's written to the Pharisees. You've got to know who the Pharisees are. They were the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. But they were known to be people who were incredibly arrogant, 
They were people who were not humble. They were very prideful. They were self-righteous. They were judgmental. They were demeaning. They were demanding. And they really didn't like people. But the number one uh, characteristic of, of the Pharisees was they were hypocrites. They would tell people, do this, and then not do it themselves. And they really lived this, this life of hypocrisy. They tell people to do things that they really didn't follow. And Jesus loved to go after the Pharisees. He loved to turn their world upside down. He really loved to try to correct them and get them on the right path. He loved to kind of you know, pop their balloons, so to speak. Jesus had amazing ability to comfort the afflicted while afflicting the comfortable. Stop and think about that. Jesus does that throughout Scripture where someone is in need, He puts His arm around them. I love you. I care about you. There's hope. There's someone else who's arrogant and prideful, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to get you on the right path too. I'm going to get, get, give you a little poke here. I'm going to give you a little direction. I'm going to give you a little uh, dis, uh, discipline if need be. Jesus knew that the Pharisees loved money. He knew they had this hunger for money inside of them, and that's why he's telling this shocking story and making the crook into a hero is what he's doing. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Pharisees dearly loved money, so when they heard What Jesus said, they made fun of him. But Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what's in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. That that last phrase is the reason why I want to talk about this today, why we're dealing with this topic, is that most people, what they think matter, especially in the area of, uh, of money, doesn't matter to God at all. The things that we start lifting up and valuing and saying these are all greatly important. What do most people in our culture think today are important? Possessions, pleasure, power, prestige, popularity, status, salary, money, power, bigger house, bigger car, more toys. All these things that the world says, go after that stuff. And as we look at this scripture here, Jesus is going to challenge us to really live a countercultural life. To really live a life that kind of swims upstream. I'm going to teach you a whole new way to think about money today. Some of you are going to go, yep, I got it. I've, I've had that teaching in church before, and this is going to be a message of affirmation. It's going to be a message of confirmation. For some of you, you're going to be like, that's brand new. That's not what my mom taught me. That's not what my dad taught me. That's not what I've learned, or that's not what I picked up through the years. The second reason Jesus tells this story is this. And this comes right from Scripture. The second reason he tells the story is because many people who are believers, who are followers of Jesus, are very poor money managers. Very poor money managers. He even tells us that in the text. And so today we need to be talking about how can we be good money managers? I would venture to say a lot of people in this room today probably don't have an emergency fund prepared. I'd venture to say a lot of people in this room probably live from week to week, from paycheck to paycheck, from hand to mouth. I'd venture to say that a lot of you don't have retirement set aside. You're not thinking about the future. I'd venture to say that for some of you, you've walked in this room today and money stress is overwhelming you. For some, you're thinking about the marriage that failed and money was the big fight that you fought over because that many times becomes the problem. This message today lets you off the hook a little bit. It's not about giving. I'm not going to stand up here and preach a message about tithing. This is a message 
about how to manage your finances well, how to be transformed in an area. Because when that is a roadblock, when that is a major challenge, and finances are out of control, then if we really want God to transform our minds, to renew our minds, we really want that to happen, many times it won't happen because our finances are in the way. And so as we're heading towards the end of the journey, we're bringing up a very important topic that we need to talk about that you've got to be working on finances and how to do it in God's way so that we can have the blessing and transformation that we've been going over the last several weeks. What is shrewdness? Jesus does not praise this guy's dishonesty, but he praises his shrewdness. Shrewdness means you're smart. It means you're sharp. It means you're strategic. It means you're resourceful. It means that you're able to look at a problem, identify the problem clearly, put an action plan in an action, and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to take care of it and get it fixed. What God wants you to do is God wants you to learn how to be biblically shrewd when it comes to the area of your finances. And from this story, we're going to learn four, do, four don'ts and five do's. Four things to not do, and five things that we should do. And so we're going to try to get through those somewhat quick. It's going to take a a few moments, but we'll try to make sure we're out of here in time that you don't miss the first uh, half. All right? So you're like, I'm getting out of here. Here we go. Number one is don't waste it. The Bible says don't waste the money. Luke 16, 2 says the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. Don't waste it. If I walk around saying it's my money, This is my money. I went to the bank and I cashed the check and now I put it in my pocket. It's my money. Then you're probably going to live in a mindset that you waste a lot of money. But if you go to the bank and you cash the check and you say, Lord, this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to handle it? Then you probably will not waste as much of it. You'll be a better money manager. Secondly, we don't love it. Don't love it. Look what verse 13 says. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You don't love it and you don't live for it. And when you look at what Jesus is saying here, He's saying it's impossible to have divided allegiance. It's impossible to say God's your first place, but also pursuing money is first place. He's saying, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to make me first place? Or are you going to make the almighty dollar first place? And he said, you've got to make a choice. Jesus lays that out in black and white. Who's going to be number one in your life? It's a decision. God doesn't force us. It's a choice that we make. Some of you probably have had down the experience of having two bosses. You ever been down that road? Have two bosses. Then you're like, which one am I supposed to answer to? You feel like a ping pong ball between the two. I got this guy, I got that guy, I got back and forth. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus very clearly is saying, listen, there's only one person needs to be boss. One person needs to be master. I'm, you know, the, the call was, serve me. Make me number one. If God's going to be number one in your life, or is making money the number one. Number three, don't trust it. Don't waste it, don't love it, and don't trust your money for security. I don't care how much money you got, you can lose it. Don't put your security in it. The manager learned this very quick in verse 3. He says, what am I going to do? I'm losing my job. Now, he lost his job because of his choices. He lost his job because of his dishonesty. But some of you understand that feeling of losing your job. You've walked through that in the last months or last years as the economy has been up and it has been down. And some of it has nothing to do with your choices. It's just companies have cut back. And you understand that feeling of, 
well, I had a job and now I don't. And Jesus is trying to show us, listen, you can't put your trust into that. You can't put your trust into your appearance and how you look. Listen, it's going to change. Look back at your high school graduation pictures. A lot of us look dramatically different. And not in a good way, necessarily. It's going to change. You can't put your, your trust in it. You can't put your trust in your health. Your health may be dynamic right now and may be falling apart by the end of this week. You can't put your trust in your job. You can't put trust in your marriage because your marriage may not make it. You can't put your trust in a loved one because you can lose a loved one. You can't put trust in your bank account because who knows what's going to happen that tomorrow. You can't put your trust into your investments because you don't know how they may crash. Put your trust in nothing. If you really want to be secure, the center of life has to be built around something that will never go away. And the only thing that will never go away is the love of Jesus Christ for you. It's the only thing can't put our trust in all this stuff. You can't put your trust in anything but God because God will never, hear me on this, God will never stop loving you. Never. It's not this character. God's love is unconditional. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on how big your bank account is. It's not based on the things you're doing. It's based on Him and who He is. Put your trust in there. Trust God. Proverbs 23, 5 in the Bible says, Your money can be gone as a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. You probably experienced that. Where's all my money gone? Where's it gone? It's, it's disappeared. And if you stop and look at the dollar bill, pull one out, what's on it? There's an eagle on it. Our government has given us a nice reminder. Every time you look at that dollar bill, see the bird on it, see the eagle on it, be reminded, you know, if I'm not wise with this, it can be gone quickly. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. If you think having more money will make you happy or make you more secure or make you more important or make you more valuable, you're terribly misguided because it's not going to satisfy. The more you have, the more you want. Somebody asked Howard Hughes one time, he was one of the richest men in the, in the world, how much does it take to make a man happy? He said, just a little bit more. And some of you have been down that journey, you understand. You're like, I've chased that dream before. I just want a little bit more improvement. I just want a little bit more money. And you just keep chasing it, and you're still waiting for that happiness to come. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money will never have enough, so you can't love it. And whoever loves wealth will never will never be satisfied with his income. See, that's because the only way contentment comes is in Jesus Christ. The only way peace comes is in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your valuables do not determine your value. So don't think, I have a lot, so I'm worth a lot. We have four don'ts. Five things to remember. When I say remember, what I mean is to put them in action. It's not like, oh yeah, I remember that, put that in my brain and set it off the side. It means I remember it and I put it in action. One is every day I need to remember it all belongs to God. The whole universe belongs to God. You belong to God. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, this whole earth, everything belongs to God. We don't own anything that we have. It all belongs to Him. 
What you think you really own is actually on loan to you. You didn't own it before you were born. You're not going to own it after you die. God just gives it on loan to you while you're here for your 60, 70, 80 years of life, if you're blessed with a long life, and it's on loan to you, and you get to use it while you're here, while you're on this earth. In this story, the owner has all the property. He lets the manager take care of his property because we're all in management. A lot of you desire that. Some of you worked up that ladder going, I can't wait till I can be in management. And then you get to management, you're like, oh, just put me down. I don't want to be in management anymore. Just let me take care of myself. I don't want to take care of anybody else. You're already in management. You may not realize it, but God has put some things under your life, your management, everything for, that is a gift from God. He's given it to you to manage while you're here on earth. You want to take your next breath if it weren't for God. It's all a gift from God. Your life your brain, your thoughts, your ideas, everything. You say, well, I worked really hard with my hands to get this. Who provided the hands? You say, well, I went to school for four years or eight years or 12 years to have this career and be on this path and be making this kind of income level. Who gave you your brain? God did. He's provided all. He's made it possible. It's all on loan. It's really God. He's loaned it to you. And He said, here, this is for you to manage. This is for you to oversee while you're here on earth. If you'll start looking at everything in your life that way, that I don't really own it all, it all belongs, belongs to God, it'll change the way you think. It'll change your stress level. I mean, if you go out of service today and you get in your nice car that you drove in a parking lot and you have a fender bender out in the road, if you own that, your stress level goes through the roof. What am I going to do? I got to deal with this. I got to deal with that. Oh, no. Got to call insurance. Oh, no. They're not going to cover it up. And you're freaking out. If God owns it, you say, God, guess what? Your car has a dent. What do you want to do about that, God? Do we fix it? Do we not fix it? God, how do you want me to handle that? God, that's your car. I'm your manager. We got a little problem here. God says, hey, why don't you take that car over to S&S Tire? Mike, that's two you owe me now. <laughs> Your kids, you look at them, you think, man, their teeth are a little crooked. Do I do braces? Wait a minute, braces are like $8,000. Oh my goodness, that's so overwhelming. It stresses me out. Hey, God, that's your kid. What do you want done with those teeth? <laughs> Teenagers are like, oh no, God will probably say no to me on that idea. Really, it changes the way you think. If you say, hey, my house, this happened. God, it's your house, actually. It's your house. It relieves a lot of worry and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. You say, it's really not mine. It's your God, and, and I'm here to help you with it. But God, what do you want done with it? God, I put it in your hands. If I'm in charge, that means I'm saying I'm God. If I'm in charge... If he's in charge, I'm saying, God, you have control. I'm just your manager. I'm here to kind of help you take care of all this stuff. If I'm the employee and God's the employer, he's ultimately in charge of the benefits package because it all belongs to him anyway. So let's let him take care of it. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing taking care of God's property? How are you doing taking care of God's property that He's entrusted to you? Your body? 
It doesn't belong to you. God made it. How well are you doing taking care of your body, your time, your opportunities, your mind, your talents, your treasures? How well are you taking care of those things? Your talents, how well are you taking care of the talents? What are you doing with the talents that God has given to you? It all belongs to God, and you're to make the most of what you've been given. The rest of this verse says the guy was wasting his master's possession. Anytime I waste money, I'm wasting God's money. That will change the way you buy stuff. If you decide this afternoon, hey, after the game when they win, let's go out and celebrate and let's go to the mall and let's do some shopping. If you walk in that mall and say, let's just go have fun, this is my money, you're probably going to blow it and waste it. I bet there's not many people walking through the mall saying, God, I think I need a few things, but how do we spend the money together? God, it's your money. What do we do? You will shop differently. You will spend on that credit card differently. You'll pull out that debit card in a different way when your mindset is, God, it's yours, and I'm the manager. So it all belongs to God. Number two, don't forget. And remember, God is using money to test me. Now, some of you are not going to like this point. But God uses money to test us to see how we're going to do it. God doesn't just give His blessings to anybody. He he tests us to see if we're going to be responsible. good example of that is I'm not going to give my child the keys to a brand new car at the age of 16. I'm going to let him drive the clunker for a while. It's a test. How well is he going to handle that test? Is he going to handle that well? As he handles that well, then I may give him a little bit more. And God's kind of doing that with us in material possessions. He's saying, what can I trust you with? It's a test. Life is a test. Life is a trust. It's a temporary assignment. This life is preparation for the next. And, and this, this is, the, is the stage where, where we're getting ready for the next. This is the dress rehearsal for preparing for eternity, the dress rehearsal. And God's testing you, saying, I want to see what they can handle here while they're on earth, because when they get in heaven, I know what I can trust them with. God, the Bible says if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. Some of that applies today right here on earth. He may give us a little bit. How well do you do with that little bit? I'll give you a little bit more. Some of it may be just blessings later. It's not always a financial reply, but a spiritual reply. I want to bless you with some things and how well you manage life. So God is using money to test me. Secondly, money shows me what I love most. Money tells you what you love. How I spend my money reveals to God and everybody else what I love most. We could do an audit today to audit your love factor. To audit what you love. Just sit down and let's look at your calendar where you're putting your time. Let's look at your credit card statement. Let's look at your bank statement. And you look at those items and say, where is my time going and where is my money going? And we can for sure determine together what you love. You can voice all you want to voice. I love this. I love that. I'm really interested in this. The truth be told is where you put your money demonstrates what you're interested in and what you love. So what do I do with money? Shows what I love. Look at Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth. In other words, don't pile it up, don't hoard it. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Wherever you want your heart to be, put your money there and your heart will start to follow. 
say, I want my heart more with God. Well, then start putting your money more with God. You say, well, how do you know that to be true? Well, most of us in this room probably don't care about Microsoft and what its stock's doing. We want to make sure we turn our computer on or Apple and what it stocks. We, we care enough that I turn my computer on. Is the thing going to work? Can I send my email? Can I go to a couple websites? Can I do the paper that I'm trying to do? But if you put some money into Microsoft or Apple, guarantee you'll start watching that company a lot closer. Because your money went there. Your heart will start to follow. You'll start checking in on it. You'll be like, what's going on with that? Why is it down? Why is it up? What's happening? Because your money has been invested and so God wants to know where are you investing your money in my kingdom? What are you doing with money that makes a kingdom different? Some in this room, you could care less about Toyota. A few probably care more because maybe you're employed there. But maybe your only care is I drive a Toyota car and all I care about is it going to get me from point A to point B. You start putting some dollars in a stock of Toyota, you'll start caring a whole lot more about Toyota. Are they selling cars? Are they making good cars? Oh no, there's a recall. What does that mean for my money? Because you're watching it, because your heart is there, because your money went there. So God is using money to test and show me what I love. Money also shows me what I really trust the most. It shows what I have faith in. Am I trusting my money for security or am I trusting in God for security? Am I trusting in money for happiness? Or am I trusting God to fill me with contentment and joy and peace and happiness that comes from Him? Am I trusting in money to make me feel good about me? Or am I trusting in God to make me feel good about me? It shows what I trust most. It's the, it's the acid test of faith, so to speak. Proverbs 11.28 says, If you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. See, if you're saying, I don't really feel close to God right now. I feel like there's a separation between God and I. My, my spiritual life is kind of on a blah, blah, blah plane where it's just, oh, we're here. I'm not really growing. There's no power in my life. I don't feel that close. Then I would encourage you to do an audit of your checkbook and say, is my money going to things that honor God? Is my money going to things of the kingdom? Because when your money goes there, your heart goes there. And it's amazing how your heart and your mind will then start to change. So my money shows what I really trust, and then it also shows if God can trust me. It's the reverse. It doesn't just show if I, if I can trust God, but it shows if God can trust me because God says, I'm looking to see how well you manage these material things before I give you more spiritual blessings. Can I trust you with more? Are you, are you blowing the little bit I've given you? Out-of-control finances reveals an out-of-control life. Unmanaged finances are symptoms of an unmanaged life. And it's a symptom that we need a manager, and that manager or that CEO needs to be God. Our finances are out of control. We need to realize, you know what, I need a better manager. I need someone else to tell me how to do this. Verses 11 and 12 is one of the most important in, in, this, in the Scripture right here. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. In other words, when God looks at you, can I trust you to give you more? Whoever is dishonest with very little will be also very dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, what is that? That phrase means if you're not a good manager, if you're spending more than you make, if you're not saving for the future, not investing, you're not making your money work for you. Instead, you're working for your money. You're not being wise in it. 
Who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You know, we don't have anything here on earth. It all belongs to Him. In heaven, God wants to give you your own stuff. It says He's preparing a place for us. And in that place comes stuff. He wants to bless you for eternity. And God says, I want to see what you do with the little bit I give you here on earth. Picture it this way. What if the wealthiest man on earth, let's say it was uh, you know, Warren Buffett. Let's say you're his son or his daughter. And they came to you and said, listen, here's my plan, honey. Here's my plan, son. I have all this stuff. My plan is for you to inherit it all. But I'm going to give you a little bit right now. I'm going to see how you do with it. And when you do really well with it, and I give you this tiny bit, then I'm going to see how you handle it and manage it well. My plan is to give you the whole thing, the whole kit and the whole caboodle. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, I have it all. I'm going to give you some, but I have a whole lot more plan for you. Whole more plan. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus, how you handle things here determines blessings later in heaven. I didn't say that. Jesus is saying that to us in this text. That's a little mind-blowing. That's, that's different than what our world teaches us, but there's a direct connection between maturity and money. There's a direct connection between spiritual power and how I handle possessions. There's a direct connection between God's blessing in my life and what I do with the dollars that He has given me. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here, is there's a connection in how well we're doing with managing the stuff He's given us. Here's the third thing I want you to remember. Money is a tool. It's a tool. Money's a tool to be used for God's purpose. What do I mean by a tool? Doesn't the Bible say that the money is root of all evil? It's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. Not money, but the love of money is root of all evil. Money is neither good nor bad. It's neither right nor wrong. Money is actually neutral. It depends on whose hands it's in. And what's being done with it? Because with money, you can build great churches, or with money, you can create a drug habit and sell drugs with it. Depends on what you decide to do with it. Luke 16, 9, notice Jesus says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. Remember earlier I said we're not to love it? He says to use it. It's really important. The Bible says you're to love people and you're to use money. But what happens many times in our pursuit of money, we start to use people and love money. We reverse what the principle is because if we want more, many times we will walk over or use whoever we can so that we can have more. The Bible says people are to be loved and money's to be used. It's supposed to be used wisely and for God's kingdom. Money's a tool to be used for God's purpose. We're to use it, we're not to hoard it. We're not to stockpile. We're not to worship it. Somebody said money is like manure. If you spread it all around, it makes things grow. If you pile it up, it starts stinking. Makes sense. There's some truth in that. Use temporary resources, what God has put in your hands, for a permanent good. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I use money for God's purpose? How do you use money for, for God's good? There's a lot of ways to do that. You can use money to save lives. You can use money to do good. You can use money to honor God. There's a lot of things you can do with money. The dishonest manager, why did Jesus make him hear the story? What did Jesus 
like about this guy? He certainly didn't like the fact that he was dishonest. Remember, the guy is going to get canned. He's going to get fired. So he brings these people to the first guy, and he writes down, hey, we're going to cut your debt in half. Hey, the next guy, I'm going to cut your debt by 20%. So Jesus obviously is not lifting up dishonesty. But there's three things the guy did right in the middle of this horrible situation. Three things God wants us to do right. First of all, he looked ahead. Look at verse 3. He says, what am I going to do now? He's thinking about the future. What am I going to do now? Most people never look ahead when it comes to their finances. Most people live right now for today because every advertisement in our society, this culture teaches, you have it now, you spend it now, you make it now, you use it, you forget about it in the future. That's why very few people have savings. The average savings of a person in Europe is 12%. People save about 12% of their income. Do you know the average savings in Japan is about 25% of their income. Do you realize what Americans saved last year? What would you guess? 2%? Uh, 3%? Negative 1%. We spent 1% more than we made. In other words, we're not saving, and that's not smart. Look what he says in Proverbs 14.8. The wise man looks ahead, but the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. The wise man looks ahead, the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. I wonder what facts you're not willing to face in your life. Can we do a little fact-facing this morning? Some of you have come in here today and you are overwhelmed in this area of finances. You are stressed out and you are worried. You're not sure how you're going to make the next house payment. Let's face some facts. For some in this room, a great decision would be to downsize your house and say, honey, it's time. Let's put it on the market. Let's go with something a little smaller, a little less expensive just to relieve some of the pressure and the stress that we're under. Some of you need to face the facts. I like it if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey. Someone calls into the show, Dave, we got all these problems. We're overwhelmed by finances, da-da-da. What does he typically say? Sell the car. Some of you are living with a car payment that is so overwhelming that you can't hardly make, make it, and you're going, what am I supposed to do? Some of you probably need to, need to sell the car and say, let's just go with that thing that's a clunker that's not beautiful, but it gets us from point A to point B. This week might be a week that you and your home need to face some facts. I drive a 13-year-old Buick, 2003 Buick. I bought it nine years ago for $5,000 cash. I've not had a car payment in nine years. It is one of the ugliest looking things right now. <laughs> a couple of years ago, the back window stopped working, and I took the door apart, put a new part in, it quit working, so I opened it up, I cut a PVC pipe, jammed it in there, and said that window doesn't work anymore, just no rain's coming in. This week, my driver's side door did the same thing. Stopped working. I went over. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Kept the window closed, put a piece of wood in there, jammed it closed, said, well, I can't do that anymore. Maybe I won't go to fast food as much either because I can't go up and down and open my window. 
So why do you drive a car that is 13 years old that's slowly falling apart? Because the engine still goes. And it gets me from point A to point B. That's what a vehicle is. It is a tool to get you from point A to B. It's, it's done trips up to Michigan and in Ohio and, and, and all over the place. And it still drives to this day. And by not having that car payment, I'm a whole lot less stressed and worry about how I'm going to make the payment. And we're able to do some things in our family with our kids that we would not be able to do if I was paying out three, four, five hundred $500 a month in a car payment. I want to tell you, it's okay to drive old cars. <laughs> it's okay. It's good for us to do that. Matter of fact, a lot of times, if you, if you watch the video this week with... with um, Rick Warren, he said many times when we're talking about relationships, we walk into a room and we think, what's everybody thinking about me? He said the truth is everybody's thinking, what's everybody thinking about me? And no one's really thinking about you. And I think that applies to the vehicles that we drive. No one's really thinking about your vehicle, only you're thinking what's other people thinking. So I would encourage you, maybe you've got to deal with some stuff this week, face some facts of life of where maybe you're spending or wasting money that you could do a better job. point is you've got to look ahead. See, when you look ahead, then you're able to do some investing. I'm going to mess up Lane's illustration. We were talking about it, but the kids will forget anyway, Lane. Lane and I were doing some studying this week and looking at the sermon, looking at messages and doing some research. Do you realize if you took $2,000 and invested it every day starting at the age of 19 and invested it, or not every day, every year for eight years in a row, so you put in $16,000 over eight years and put nothing else in it, and someone else started at the age of 27, investing $2,000 a year into the age of 65, so they do it for 39 years, and at the age of 65, you both retire. They've invested 78000 You've invested 16000 starting at the age of 19. If you're drawing a 12% interest rate, which I don't know if you can really get that today, but maybe you could if you're really good at finances, you would have over $2.4 million putting in only 16000 for eight years in a row versus a person who put 78000 in, they'd have about $1.7 million. Got to look ahead. You gotta think about the future and think, well, how much do we save? Proverbs tells us he who invests little by little, little by little, thinking ahead. Point is he looked ahead. He made a plan. The next verse he said, I, I know what I will do. I know what I'll do. He put a plan together. How do you know if you have a financial plan? It's really simple. It's called a budget. A budget is a financial plan. A budget is simply you telling your dollars where they're going to go versus your dollars telling you where you're going to go. And a budget is putting it down in writing and saying, dollars today or this month, you're going here, here, and here, and next month you'll go here, here, and here. And you do that, and as you follow a very simple plan, it starts to lower stress. Proverbs 16.9 says we should make plans counting on God to direct us. The third thing, look ahead. He had a plan. He acted quickly. He gets commended for that. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't delay. He set his plan in motion. He didn't say, well, someday I'll get my finances in order. Do you know when someday comes? Never. As long as you live in, well, someday I'll start investing for retirement. Someday I'll deal with these debts. Someday we'll get doing better. Someday never comes. He put a plan together. Luke 16, 4 says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He's thinking, I don't want to end up on the street. That's what led him to doing some really more dishonest things. 
is I'll cut these deals so I develop some friends so hopefully these friends will let me sleep on their couch. The very thing Jesus was commending is not his dishonesty, but his attitude of putting a plan together, which says, I'm going to think ahead. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to invest in some relationships so that when I'm out of here, I'm not on the street. It was a guy who was thinking, most people have no plan for the future. They're just drifting through life, just kind of going through little by little, day by day. He says, that's not very wise. You've got to think with a long view. When Jesus talks about a long view, he's not talking about just retirement. He's talking about a long view of on the other side of death. He's talking about a long view of eternity. What are you doing that's investing in eternity? Are you storing up treasures in heaven? Or are you spending it all here, wasting all here? Or are you storing it up for kingdom differences? That's a long-range plan. What are you doing with that? The fourth truth I want you to remember today that's countercultural is this. The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. The best use of my money is to use it to get people into heaven. The problem Verse for many of us is verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Talking about building relationships. So that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your internal dwelling. He's talking about heaven. He, he says, just like this, this dishonest guy made friends. He made friends for later. So when I'm out on the street, I can have someone help. He says, you need to use some of your money to make spiritual friends. To make eternal friends. Friends you're going to have forever that will welcome you to heaven. That can be kind of shocking. You mean, Jesus tell me to invest in people and develop friendships for a long term? Yes. He's not saying you can buy your way into heaven. Clarify that. He's not saying you can buy, you can't buy your way into heaven. The price has already been paid by Jesus on the cross, and that's a free gift of salvation. So there's nothing we can do to buy that. You can't purchase your eternal salvation. That's a gift. What he's saying here is use your money to build relationships that will go on and on and on in eternity. Spiritual friendships. Use your affluence for good influence is what he's telling us. He says, when I use my money to help other people meet Jesus, I make friends for eternity. Because when you help people know Jesus, they come to that salvation experience and you're one of their friends for a lifetime. Notice what it says. It says, then they will welcome you. Welcome you in eternal dwellings. He's talking about heaven there. Could you imagine the day, because it's going to happen, could you imagine a day when you die? You go to heaven, could you imagine that people are standing there? I am so glad you're here. You made it. Thank you. You invested in me, and now I'm here waiting on you. And you have friends who are surrounded, waiting to welcome you into eternity. To be with them forever. So how do I do that? You've got to answer this question, first of all. Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Is anybody going to be there because of you? Did you take what God has blessed you with here on earth, your time and your talents and your treasure, and say, I'm going to invest those into people? How do I do that? That might be meeting with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say, man, I'm going to buy your lunch. We're going to meet every Monday until, until you understand the gospel. And I'll buy lunch just to explain Jesus to you. It might mean, you know what, you're a friend of mine and, and I want you to know more about Jesus. Jesus, I've got this great book for you. Please read it and let's talk about it. It might be buying a Bible for somebody. It might be investing in some missionary work. It might be investing in kingdom work. It might be, and I'm not going to cover it, but tithing. It might be the Lord saying, man, as you tithe and as you give, 
There are going to be people patting you on the back, clapping, cheering you on. You invested. It might be helping to build a church. It might be investing in a thing like we have going on the Compelled campaign to make a little bit more room on this facility so we can invest in more children's lives and young people's lives and help more people know Jesus. We can't take it with us. Can't take it with us. So how, what do you do? You invest it for the future. Your, your eternal IRA, your internal individual retirement account is how you store up treasures in heaven. Number five, last thing today, is one day I'll give an account to God. One day there's going to be an audit on my life. How I use not just my money, but everything that God gave me. What did you do with what you were given? Your talent, your relationships, your opportunities, your mind, your creativity, your contacts, your networks. What did you do of what God gave you? One day we'll be held accountable. It doesn't really matter whether you've got a little or you've got a lot. Our church family here, we are a church of, of diverse economic status. We have some in this church that have very little and struggle to make it day by day. And we have some that have a ton. And we have a whole bunch that probably live somewhere in the middle of all that. It doesn't really matter how much you have. What matters is what are you doing what God has entrusted to you? What matters, what are you doing, what God has given you, can He trust you with a little bit more? If you use your talents for God, He says, you know what, I see you use your talents. I have a little bit more ways for you use your talents. Use your treasure for God. Somebody will say, you know what, I have a little bit more treasure for that. You use your faith for God. He says, you know what, I'm going to give you a little bit more faith. You use your abilities. He says, you know what, I'm going to bless you and allow you to use your abilities a little bit more. What are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and He's going to do an audit. Look at verse 2. It says, You must now give an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I have entrusted to you because your time as a manager has ended. One day our time as managers will come to a close. What Jesus is trying to say in sex. What, what have you done with it? One day your time as a manager is going to end. You're, you're not going to live on earth forever. You weren't meant to live here forever. You've been entrusted with this time right now. He says, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to test you. I want to see what you do with it. I'm going to see who you trust. What are you doing with the mind that I gave you? What are you doing with the abilities I gave you? What are you doing with the talents I've given you, the treasure I've given you? Are you spending it all for yourself? Or are you stewarding your life in a way that says, I'm stewarding for God's kingdom? One day your management career is going to come to end. Look what Romans 14 tells us. Each of us will have to give a personal account to God. I want God's blessings on your life. I know you want God's blessings on your life. There's only one way to have it. Do, thing God, do things God's way. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to do things Your way. Help us, Lord, that today's message is not a message that we hear and go, i got to do some stuff and go home and forget about Help us to be people, Lord, like James. In the book of James, it says not to be just listeners and hearers, but to actually be doers. Father, help us to put into practice what we're hearing today and this week in our devotional times and in our, in our small group times. Help us to put it to practice. Father, thank you for this story that, that you shared, this parable that is somewhat confusing, but there's so much truth in it and how much we can learn from it. Father, when it comes to money, help us to trust you. 
Help us to trust you fully with everything we have. Lord, help us to have that mindset that says we're a manager of the things you've given us. Help us, Lord, to walk in this world with that mindset that I don't own it. It belongs to God. God, I'm here to be a manager for you. Father, we come to this time where we bring our tithes and our offerings right now. Lord, I pray that what we bring honors you. I pray that what we bring communicates our our love to you. I pray, Lord, that, that we do with our finances, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. Lord, I pray that we steward that stuff well in a way that changes people's lives for eternity. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.